There are very few television shows that I have watched from the beginning, from the, the pilot episode on. I am not what you would call an early adopter. Uh, now, I, I'm not talking about the, the uh, miniseries on Disney+. Plus. I'm not talking about, like, the Marvel and Star Wars stuff. The boys and I have watched all of those. We love them. I'm talking about full-season traditional shows like network shows. And the way this usually goes is that my wife, Whitney, and I will hear from someone about how this or that particular show is terrific, how we've got to, to check it out. We usually start a show towards the end of its first season or maybe sometime into its second season. And we're blessed to be living in an era when you can binge watch a show after it's already started. I love that we can uh, go back and watch a show from the beginning once there's enough buzz around it to know that it's worth our while. Ted Lasso is the most uh, recent example for us. Binge watching shows digitally is a far superior way to watching, uh, of watching content than it was like back in the day. So back in the day, you all remember this, if you missed an episode of a TV show, you just missed it, right? Uh, you had to hope that it came on in reruns over the summer. And then there was uh, a while there in the early 2000s, and maybe, I don't know, maybe you can still do this, when you could buy a season of a show or an entire series on DVD, if y'all have ever done that. Um, back when Modern Family came out, we didn't watch it at first. A bunch of people said, oh, you gotta watch it, it's so funny. And so uh, we purchased the first season on DVD in order to get caught up. That was an upgrade over the old days for sure. We didn't have to wait till the summer, but then we had this random box set of Modern Family Season 1 on a shelf uh, until we gave it to Goodwill. There have been precisely two shows in my life that I've watched from the pilot episode on. The first was Grey's Anatomy. Uh, to be clear, I blame my wife, Whitney, for this one. Uh, it was her idea to watch Grey's. For some reason, they just renewed it for a 19th season. <laughs> awful, but we're stuck with it because we've been watching it now for 19 seasons. The other show that we've watched from the beginning is actually one of my top three shows of all time. It's called uh, This Is Us, and I'm guessing that some of you watch it as well. It's a, a beautiful, uh, creatively told story about a family across multiple generations. This is the sixth and final season, so it wouldn't be hard to go back and binge watch it from the beginning if you missed it and you want to check it out. Uh, they're ending the show before it wears out its welcome, which I respect, looking at you, Grey's Anatomy. Um, <laughs> my first working title for this sermon was Family Ties. Uh, you may remember that was a, an 80s sitcom with Michael J. Fox that was back when you had to actually be in front of the TV at the right time to watch the show. But then I remembered how um, complex and wonderful a story This Is Us is. Uh, it's a drama, so there's a fair amount of drama, as you might imagine. The writers deal beautifully with multiple types of family trauma and family of origin issues. There's, of course, weekly depictions of the love that families feel for each other, the grace they share with each other, the forgiveness forgiveness that's sometimes required in a family, and there are these consistent reminders of a concept from the Hebrew Bible that's been our focus for this current sermon series, the concept of, of hesed, which can be translated as loving kindness or faithful commitment. It's a, it's a concept that I really don't think we can hear enough about uh, in a wide variety of ways, for example, in a contemporary drama on TV, which I will come back to later also in one of the most beautiful pieces 
of Scripture in the Old Testament, uh, in my opinion, the book that we've been talking about these few weeks. This is the third and final week of our sermon series on the book of Ruth. To this point, we have talked about how a woman named Naomi and her daughter named Ruth returned to Bethlehem from Moab as widows, having suffered the terrible loss of Naomi's husband and two sons, one of which was mar- one of whom was married to Ruth. Uh, we've read about how Ruth tries to support Naomi and herself when they go back to uh, Bethlehem through this practice of gleaning and how she providentially ends up in a field owned by a man named Boaz. We've read about how Boaz, as it turns out, is not only uh, related to Naomi's late husband, but he's also what's known as the family redeemer or protector. The word is goel in Hebrew. And in the society of their time, the, the goel was responsible for the legal matters of widows, especially as it concerned the buying and selling of land. That is a point that will become relevant as we read our passage for today. Those first two sermons are on the website if you missed them and you want to get caught up. Now, we skipped chapter three. Um, If you've ever read Ruth, you probably know why. Uh, In that chapter, at Naomi's urging, Ruth tries to woo Boaz, which she successfully does. It's not entirely clear what happens, but there is a fair amount of innuendo in that chapter. It's kind of in the, in the PG-13 range, and this is a G-rated service, <laughs> so uh, we skipped it. But suffice it to say that by the end of that third chapter, Boaz plans to marry Ruth. But as it turns out, there's someone in the family who is a closer relative uh, than Boaz, who would then be Naomi's redeemer or protector, the goel of the family. And so these, these two men must decide what comes next. Now, unfortunately for Ruth and the patriarchal culture of her time, uh, she does not get a say in what happens next, but uh, that was the circumstance at the time. So this is Ruth chapter 4, verses 1 to 12. Listen, friends, for the word of God as it is proclaimed by God's servant, the author of Ruth. No sooner had Boaz gone up to the gate and sat down there, then the next of kin, the Goel, of whom Boaz had spoken, came passing by. So Boaz said, come over, friend, sit down here. And he went over and sat down. Then Boaz took ten men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. And so they sat down. He then said to the next of kin, this Goel, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of of land that belonged to our kinsman Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me so that I may know. For there is no one prior to you to redeem it, and I come after you. So he said, I'll redeem it. Then Boaz said, the day you acquire the field... From the hand of Naomi, you are also acquiring Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead man, to maintain the dead man's name on his inheritance. At this, the next of kin said, Well, I cannot redeem it for myself without damaging my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Now, this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm a transaction, the one took off a sandal and gave it to the other. 
This was the manner of attesting in Israel. So when the next of kin said to Boaz, acquire it for yourself, he took off his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, Today you are witnesses that I have acquired from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Kilian and Malon. I have also acquired Ruth the Moabite, the wife of Malon, to be my wife, to maintain the dead man's name on his inheritance in order that the name of the dead may not be cut off from his kindred and from the gate of his native place. Today you are my witnesses. Then all the people who were at the gate, along with the elders, said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you produce children in in Ephrathah and bestow a name in Bethlehem. And through the children that the Lord will give you by this young woman, may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Uh, If you've been around a while, you've heard me talk about my Old Testament professor at Perkins School of Theology, Dr. Roy Heller. Are you taking Old Testament yet? Okay. Uh, Kristen's in her first year of seminary um, and has Roy, and I'm curious if he still uses this metaphor. We'll find out. Um, Roy brought these texts to life for me in a way that I really did not think was possible. He's one of the most gifted teachers uh, I've ever had. And one day in class, he used a metaphor for our engagement with the Bible that I found very compelling. It's stayed with me now for 20 years. Uh, He had gotten his PhD at Yale, which of course you know is in Connecticut, and he said that the Bible, reading the Bible, uh, was kind of like taking the train from Connecticut into New York City. He said, uh, the thing about riding a train is that the scenes outside your window are constantly changing. In Connecticut, the landscape is pretty, it's pretty pastoral. There's peaceful farmland. There's these quiet little towns. Um, there's some more crowded suburbs. And then the closer you get to the city, the grittier the scenes become. Uh, it's more crowded. It's not quite so peaceful as that rural landscape in Connecticut that you've passed through already. There's more energy. There's more buzz. And the thing about uh, that train ride from Connecticut to New York City is that you go, uh, you get to see this pretty incredible range and variety of people and life and lifestyles and settings, but it's all, it's all out there. (laughs) It's something that you're observing through a window. It's something from which you are removed and in which you are not a participant. You're a, a passing bystander to something that's out there. But then, at some point after the train has entered the city, uh, you go underground, and when you do, that window becomes a mirror. And you realize that you're actually looking at yourself. Roy said that if we're reading the Bible correctly, if we're reading it as our sacred text, if we're reading it as sacred scripture that tells us about God and about our relationship with God and about our relationships with each other, at some point we come to realize that as diverse and interesting as those stories may be, as bewildering and strange as these texts may sometimes seem, ultimately they're not only about something out there. They're not only about Uh, these characters who lived and these scenes that took place and these books that were written thousands of years ago. I mean, of course, the Bible 
is about God, obviously. Of course, the Bible is about the history of God's relationship with God's people. But it's also about us. It's about how we show up in our current setting. It's about how we are called to be in relationship with God and with each other uh, today, right here, uh, right now, in this place. This is an image that actually is from, uh, from the son-in-law of a church member of ours. He's a photographer. Um, he shared it with me. His father-in-law did, said I could use it. And he titled this image, Ruth. Upon first reading, it may seem as though uh, we don't have anything in common with two widows who moved from Moab to Bethlehem after the, the loss of so many people whom they loved so dearly. It may seem as though, upon first reading, the ancient references to gleaning and goels and sandal swapping don't have the first thing to do with us. But once we look past these contextualized details, uh, we realize that these nearly 3,000-year-old biblical characters have the same hopes and fears and dreams that we do. And we realize uh, that this ancient story has the power to hold up a mirror to us, seeing in this tale of Naomi and Ruth and Boaz the way that we are called to relate to each other in this place and in this time. There are some references to obscure ancient practices in this chapter. Then there's the problematic fact that, that Ruth's fate uh, is being decided by one man whom she barely knows and one whom she does not know at all. That's part of the, the otherness of these ancient sacred stories, to be sure. But the theme of this book comes through so strongly in the verses we're reading this morning, the, the loving kindness and faithful commitment and loyalty that Naomi and Ruth have shown to each other from the beginning of the story is now being offered to them by Boaz because he's under no obligation to marry Ruth. He's under no obligation to act as the family Goel. But because of his feelings for her, and I believe, no doubt, inspired by the loving kindness that Ruth has modeled for her mother-in-law, Boaz does both, <laughs> which means that the family line is secure, which is a, a massively important deal in their context. All right, let's finish the story. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. When they came together, the Lord made her conceive, and she bore a son. Then the, then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without next of kin, and may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has borne him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him in her bosom and became his nurse. The women of the neighborhood it's a great phrase, the women of the neighborhood, gave him a name, saying, a son has been born to Naomi. They know, named him Obed. He became the father of Jesse, the father of David. You may have heard of him, David. One of the things I love about the show This Is Us uh, is that it does not gloss over the difficult parts of being a family. 
At the core of the, the story is a, a tragedy in which one of the main characters becomes a young widow. Her three kids are in high school when their father dies, and she has to figure out how to be there for them through these tough years of their lives and how to survive herself after the death of her own beloved husband. He becomes a legend, almost a, a saintly myth in his children's minds as she's left to do the hard work of being their matriarch and their rock. And the, the family story is told through this really creative series of flashbacks and flash forwards, each episode detailing a, a particular theme. Uh, just a fun fact, because of the way the story is told, the actors who play the three adult kids are actually older <laughs> than the actress who plays their mother. <laughs> it's true. And while the specific details of their story are quite different than the specific details of my story, there is hardly an episode that has not brought tears to my eyes at some point. Because great storytelling has the power to do that, to help us see ourselves, our joys and our sorrows, our triumphs and our tragedies in the stories of others, hence the title of the show, This Is Us a series whose six seasons are available for binge-watching <laughs> if you're looking for a show. And the Book of Ruth is like that for me as well. The circumstances of the lives of Naomi and Ruth and Boaz could not be more different than my own. And yet, there's, there's something in the way that they relate to each other that echoes deeply with me, reflecting the, the loving kindness, the faithful commitment, the loyalty that God has shown to them and to every one of us. They model that same loving kindness for each other. And out of this incredibly tragic beginning, from circumstances that could have left Naomi and Ruth in hopeless despair, uh, they build a life together. And not just that. <laughs> the story ends by telling us that Boaz and Ruth become the great-grandparents of the greatest king in Israel's history, David. And not just that, of course. The Gospels tell us that Boaz and Ruth are ancestors of Jesus himself. Which means that this beautifully told story, written almost 3,000 years ago about people who lived centuries before that, is an essential part of our salvation history, an essential part of our story in a very real sense. This is us. It's about the power of loving kindness to redeem us and make us whole. It's about the, the power of faithful commitment to help us get through the toughest of times. It's about the power of hesed, this fundamental trait of our God that we are called to share with each other to bring hope and healing in every place and time. And it all started <laughs> with this bold decision on the part of uh, one of the true heroines of our faith. But Ruth said, do not press me to leave you or turn back from following you. Where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Thanks be to God. Amen.